Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Alrighty. Blue White Breakdown podcast. Almost in mid-April. I'm Bob Flounders. Joined by Dave Jones. We're just days away, Dave. From the blue-white game, I know you are. My favorite day always is. Pretty pumped. We got we got a, a couple different things we want to touch on in this edition of the Blue-White Breakdown podcast. But we're going to start with uh, a piece that ran on ESPN on a former Penn State player who was a member of the team in the mid to late 70s, Todd Hodney. I believe I have that pronunciation right. He was he was just a, a horrible human being, and ESPN did a a very lengthy story about some of the things he did in the seventies and eighties. He's no longer alive, but uh, it, it's quite a story, uh, and it, it really goes into detail about somebody who was a uh, a predator at Penn State, uh, preyed on women, and uh, he actually once once he left Penn State, it, it sound, reading the story, Dave, it sounds like that 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 pursuit continued before. He was put into jail. He died in jail. But uh, just an incredible piece of reporting by Penn State. I believe the authors are Tom Junod. Is that how you say that? And and Paula Levine, who did the Baylor. I think she did a lot of the Baylor uh, story. And, the you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at reactions. The reactions seem to fall in two camps. And if you haven't heard, you, ha- you must have probably heard about this, most of you by now, or if you haven't. It is a tough, tough read, and it, it, it. What do you think? It's got to be twenty thousand words, right? I. It's the longest story I could ever remember reading, on a site. Honestly, it, it, it was. It's. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's almost a book, Dave. It's almost like one of those mini books. I mean, if you don't want to read it, fine. Uh, it's an. But it is an unending siege of rapes that this guy committed. And the reactions seem to fall in two camps. And one is, why are we reading about this 43 years later? And the authors you know, read what they said about it is mainly because once you got into the stories of these women who were mainly ignored back then in 1979, you couldn't not listen to them. And having covered cops and courts and heard stories like that in a, in a former life back in the, in the late 80s, I know what they meant. It's 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 tough reading. It is uh, it really doesn't even though they put uh, a reference to Sandusky and Paterno out front. I think that was probably done by producers at ESPN. It doesn't have that much to do with Joe Paterno. It's mainly just a, a slice of a period, a monstrous guy who was recruited out of Long Island 
and what was what he was allowed to do largely by a judge up there named Sharp, who allowed him to walk on bail even after he was con- con- convicted, which is the the really outrageous uh, part of it. But you know, people ask why are they writing this now and they're trying to smear Penn State. I don't think that really has anything to do with it. It's it's just a slice of a different time from 1979. And a story that really hasn't been told. I never even heard of this guy. I don't think you did, right? You ever heard of him? No, I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know, th- th- those are. I mean, they, those when he played, he played. He was a member of some very talented teams, and he he was never a name I think that I ever came across. No, and then he was thrown off the team by Paterno uh, after his conviction and uh, bounced around because of this judge. Anyway. Read it if you want. Don't read it if you want. I read the whole thing, and I, I it's it's astounding and disturbing and be ready. So uh, it's not like this is the feel-good podcast of the year because in the, the more bad news is Gary Brown, one of the best guys you could ever meet on a complete contrast, uh, who started when I, he was playing when I began, uh, was uh, kind of turned into a defensive back instead of a running back because they knew they had Leroy Thompson. I can't remember who else, but Joe thought his running back room was filled up and made Gary into a DB. And then when he got back to the pros, he had two and almost 3000 yard seasons as a running back, but his best contribution might've been as a coach who he was known as a really good, both NFL coach and later, uh, not, not that long, a college coach at Wisconsin. And he just died last week. Uh, you must have run into him at one time or another as an NFL coach, or did you? No? As an NFL player, I can remember him. I can remember him on that Oilers. He, he was on a really good Oilers team. He was the feature back. I think there's he, he kind of fell into that role. The starting runner got hurt. Might have been Lorenzo White. Um, and he he took over. They didn't miss a beat. I think that was 93 or 94. He had another 1,000-yard season uh, with the Giants. Uh, Williamsport High School, uh, you know, standout legend at Williamsport High School, not too far away from Penn State. But uh, you, you uh, he coached with the Cowboys. I know uh, a lot. I mean, the Cowboys put out a statement. I know he was close to some people in the Cowboys organization. And then, Dave, just recently, I think you had a chance to talk to him. Was it prior to Penn State's season opening loss or season opening win at Wisconsin in 2021? 20, uh, I believe he had been battling or he had battled cancer numerous times and elite numerous times and had fought it off but i think they i don't know if they had an official cause of death but it, it where that cancer was in his body it made you wonder how much longer he could fight it off and i asked him specifically i mean i, I let off the story it was seven months ago before the wisconsin game because he, he was the running backs coach and and really uniformly loved by all the all the players who were coached by him simply because he was buoyant and upbeat and had a smile on his face. And if you've been coached by guys like that, you know they can coach you hard and you don't mind. They challenge you, but they they have a love of the game and a love of football that that in, infuses everything you do. They can get away with stuff that that pricks cannot you know and he was one of those guys I mean a, a joy to be around and when I talked to him I, I asked him specifically I said are you in remission he kind of answered around the question which made me wonder he said I never say that I'm completely in remission because I always have to have my guard up take uh, my my meds 
make sure I eat right, make sure I live right. And, and I don't want to ever take my guard down for that. And that it ended up getting him in the end. And, um, he's been in hospice care the last, uh, couple of weeks or so. Uh, anyway, a, a tough loss for everyone around uh, Penn State football because he was a really seriously good dude. I wanted to add to the Gary Brown story. As much as Penn State, just hearing you talk about him, as much as Penn State has, has got the the moniker linebacker you, and you know that might that might be outdated a little bit now, but in you know in the eighties and the nineties and and you know ten fifteen years ago, even two thousand twelve, just tremendous linebackers that went on to play in the NFL. But I I really kind of feel Dave that. Mostly with Joe, but but also a little bit beyond Joe, Penn State's ability to recruit running backs, just stacks and stacks of running backs, and almost have so many running backs, they could move them to other positions or move them from another position. I mean, they just had so many running backs have big games. They've had one-hit wonders. They've had guys, though, that are just – they've had some really talented athletes that played running back at one point and then either moved to another position and made it to the NFL – or it's just amazing how how well uh, they've 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 recruited running backs, especially during I think Paterno's time. And Gary accepted Joe's judgment that he had too many running backs, and if he wanted to get on the field, and Gary wanted to get on the field, that he was going to have to play another position. He went to the defensive coaches and said, "Turn me into a, a safety." And he was a really good safety. I mean, he, he, it's not that often. I know it's 30 years ago, but it's still not that often you see a guy turn from one position and it is a very good player. And remember, he had the steal and score against Brigham Young in the Holiday Bowl. And, uh, you were, were you at that game? No, even Ronnie wasn't at that game. It started at like one in the morning, didn't it? <laughs> well, it was a huge deal because Ron Menard, the then, executive editor at the Patriot News decided not to send Ronnie, which pissed him off. And that was my very, very first year. I was covering Pitt at that time, and I wasn't really involved in Penn State. I just remember how mad Ronnie was about that. And he was fuming because, you know, for for one thing, you don't get to go to San Diego. A bowl trip is kind of a reward, especially back then, even if the team is Eight and four, or whatever they were, the '89 team was not very good. It was a late start where it would have been almost impossible to get the, the game story in without extending the deadline. And guy, the editor made an executive decision. I don't think Nick would have done that, but Ronnie didn't get to go, so we did not cover that bowl game, which is probably the last time. That was the last time we did not have anybody at a Penn State bowl game, 1989. So Nick Horvath, our former boss, I, I had one year on the on the famous Pitt Panthers beat as the backup high school writer. How many years were you? I didn't remember you did that. You did that. Yeah, my first year here, ninety is ninety three. Nick called me in the office. It's like I was backing up Rod Frisco on the high school beat. He's like, Bob, you're the backup <laughs> high school writer. This is how we cover Pitt. Friday night, I'm going to send you as far west as I possibly can in our coverage area, which is like oh, 45 minutes. Okay. Like yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah. Like he's doing me a favor. What you do is I need you to cover a game, write a story as fast as you can, then get on the turnpike at like 1130, midnight, whatever it is. We're going to put you up in a hotel room. Yeah, at 330 in the morning. Did you, did you go to the Howard Johnson's? No, it was it was a, it was a holiday inn. Uh, in Oakland, and I would get in. I would get in at three thirty in the morning. And Pitt that year, play every game they played was at like noon on the hill. 
And it, it was it, the thing I remember about it. I think that was Johnny Major's first year back at Pittsburgh, and they were just like a 500 team. But the running back that year was uh, was Curtis Martin. He turned into a Hall of Famer, great career with the Patriots and the Jets, and he was just great to cover. But I remember he even sent me to their training camp at, at Johnstown for a couple of days, and I can remember having a couple of drinks at the bar with Gene Collier. That it was like the only bar. It was one of the only bars in Johnstown, and I had really no idea who how great Gene Collier was. But it was just a it was an incredible memory, and I actually, in a weird way, I kind of enjoyed covering it because it was kind of it was kind of hard to do. And I was and I was young then, and I was exhausted by the time I got home Saturday. I had to. I did it in in eighty nine and ninety. Um, maybe I didn't have Curtis Martin. I can't remember. But Paul Hackett was the coach. And uh, Alex Van Pelt was the quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember who the quarterback was. Uh, I, they ran the, I, Curtis Martin ran the ball 35 times a game. Yeah. That's and that's what you would do with Curtis Martin, even back then. But, yeah, what I remember is I had to do the same thing, cover a high school game, come in the office, blast through your story as fast as possible, and then get on the turnpike if you were lucky by eleven fifteen. And you arrive, I had to go to a Howard Johnson's because they were cheap in Oakland. Uh, at least you didn't have, I think I could walk to the game, but you had to walk up Heartbreak Hill. You've had like four hours sleep. You're exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and this Howard Johnson's had a heater or air conditioner or whatever the hell it was. Every six minutes would go, and wake wake you up you know no matter how you had to sleep with like a pillow over your head and try to loved it what you did it four years in a row three years in a row 89 and 90 as i remember so must someone must have done it in between what i remember about the drive out after after filing is the fog on the turnpike because you had you were going up like a lot of fog like that's just what you need when you're trying to stay awake. You had it better than I did, buddy, because they had an actual concrete median by the by the time you did it. <laughs> there was no median. You don't remember. There was no median. All there was was a guardrail in between for in in the early nineties, late eighties. All there was was the guardrails, and and you remember the lanes are so close together. The oncoming lanes and the lanes you're on, there would be headlights in your face the entire time i mean i know it's not a lot of traffic at that time of night but still it would blind you every time some uh, some truck and it's going right by it's not like other interstates it was weird and enough enough of that crap anyway how did we get on that this is the blue white breakdown welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Let's circle back to Penn State spring practice. Here's a thought for you, Dave. With all the guys that are going to be in the Penn State draft um, that could go in the first three, four, first, you know, first four or five rounds, you, you don't really have a lot, a lot of uh, knowledge just yet about the 2022 team. But can you try and imagine, like, looking ahead, who's like the one player you think on this team? And I, I have a couple names in mind that I think has a chance to be 
you know, a top 50 player, maybe a first team all Big Ten player, by the time the fall and, and the winter of 2023 roll around. There's there's a couple of choices out there. There's no Jahan Dotson. They lost all the good players, just about all the good players on their defense. But I have a name or two that I could throw out. I just think it's a really kind of an interesting year because whenever this happens at Penn State, Dave, there's that means if we can't identify the player, there's going to be two or three players that really surprise us in the fall because I think that almost always happens on the Penn State beat. Well, the, the guy that comes immediately to mind to me is Adisa Isaac. Nice. Because he, he, he would not – he didn't get an opportunity last year, and everyone was saying he was going to be a killer, right? Everyone loved him. He was he – was, he was, he, in that 2019 class, he was at the very tip top, if not the first player. He was like one or two – there were not many other players that were ranked as highly as him. So – and, the, and the God knows they need him. I mean, they're, they yes. have, I think – Yes, I think do. they have about 50% of their defensive uh, tackles back on that. Is that about right? 56% or something? Yeah, and their, their best player, P.J. Mustafer, who is like an obvious choice to a lot of fans. But, you know, when you're that big and you have that kind of knee surgery, you just don't know how long it's going to take him to round into form. Mm, I guess I need somebody on offense. I don't know. You can you can take. I know you're a big Parker Washington fan. I just don't know if he's going to make that big of a change. I don't know if he has that kind of ceiling. Caden Wallace. Caden Wallace is a guy they're they're definitely counting on. Uh, they only returned they only returned two starters on the offensive line, and the offensive line is not it's it's one it's one of the thinnest offensive lines that that James has had. So there's really some questions about that group. He, at least he has a lot of experience. He has a lot of starts under his belt. You figure. He should make a jump in performance. So uh, th- those would be my two picks. Who are yours? I'll give you. I'll give you three names, and I'm talking. About, I, I just think that the way this guy has gotten better every every year at Penn State, and I know you know him, but I'm talking about this guy should be in the conversation to be a first team All Big Ten player, close to a top fifty, top sixty player minimum in the draft. Jair Brown, the safety, who. Six interceptions, two fumble recoveries. The guy is always around the ball. The best safety in coverage I've seen at Penn State since I've been covering the team. They've had some guys that were really good in run support. Marcus Dallin was like that. But this is a guy I think that, you know, in the NFL, if you can't cover as a safety, you really can't play. So I think that his game actually suits probably the NFL mold even a little bit more. He's one. Curtis Jacobs, if he leaves school early, would be another. And there was a player on the offensive side that really would have to have a breakout, but I think he fi- he fits all all of my markers. It's Theo Johnson, the tight end, um, in his third year. If you remember, Mike Gesicki was kind of quiet his first two years at Penn State, and then he, he got he got working with Moorhead in that sixteen offense, and he had some great skill people around him. But Theo Johnson is that kind of an athlete. So those are my three guys. Have you looked at the draft as far as where you think some of these guys are going? When when is the threshold where they have to declare they're coming back if they're if they're coming back? Because I don't even know. I, I, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, it's actually you don't declare you're coming back. You have until I think you have until the middle of January to declare for the draft. That's what I mean. So okay. yeah, yeah. So you, they have they have roughly. I mean, they were, it's two weeks after the the bowl game. If you figure January first is like that date, or about six weeks after the season kind of ends. I mean, Jair Brown could have easily left. I think. After 2021, I think he made the right decision. Curtis Jacobs, I just think, is a guy that he's – they're probably going to move him inside. I don't know. I hope he gets a little bit bigger because I really enjoyed the way he played with his speed. 
And then Theo Johnson, we just haven't seen enough of. They have three tight ends. I think he drops some passes, but that's going to happen when you're young. But, man, he's 6'6", you know, 255. He, uh, he's testing uh, off the charts. I really I really like those three guys. Their offensive center, Juice Scruggs, is another guy to watch. He was their best offensive lineman last year. But I just I'm just really wondering about if they're going to be if they're going to be an eight or nine win team, some somebody's going to have to step up in a huge way because they just lost some really 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 fantastic players and it's going it's going to bear itself out in the draft. I'm curious what you think about Joey Porter. I was tempted to mention him too. I think he is another guy that uh, I think NFL NFL talent for sure. He can run. He's got that long, long. He's he's six one, six two. So so as far as what he can do to improve, I'm curious if you're going to say what's in my in my head here. The only thing that really gave him problems last year is he was too aggressive in coverage and he got called for flag. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. James mentioned it, but there are worse things than being too handsy because, and I'm just talking about football. I'm not talking about any other aspect of life because there are problems if you get too handsy. But that means you're kind of you're you're going to play press coverage, and you know what you you you're you're close enough to the guy to make the play. You just got to keep your hands off the guy. And a lot of times, I don't think he needed to do what he did. He just didn't know the limits of what the official was going to th- throw the flag on, and then they threw it. He didn't have to do it to be in. It, like you say, if you're in position, if you're that close, that's a good thing. That means good coverage. I, I thought his year was a little bit better than uh, than a lot of people dinged him on. Everyone always. It's it's easy to focus on the bad plays talented players make, but he also made a lot of nice. He made a play on the goal line in the Wisconsin game that saved the touchdown when they were driving. To me, he's a big a big corner, which you don't see of you don't see corners his size that that much. Who can cover? That's a good combination. Yeah, I mean the last big. I mean Amani Arawarie was kind of big too. He's actually a really good player with the Lions now. He, he lasted till the third or fourth round, but he was a first-team All-Big Ten player. I think Joey Porter could certainly be in the conversation. He's not lacking in talent. He's got the pedigree, and I, I just think that, you know, I think he's he's definitely worthy of a guy that, boy, we could be talking a lot about him in November. But unfortunately, Dave, we, we haven't mentioned a lot of offensive players. So the game <laughs> is about scoring points, so hopefully there'll be some offensive players. Maybe it'll be one of the true freshman running backs. But we didn't mention Sean Clifford's NIL uh, company either. But uh, you know. he's uh, he's got. A, it looks like Sean's are, in case he, if the NFL doesn't work out. He's got him. I think he's got his. He's got himself set up for uh, life after football. I'm sure this is something he wants to pursue. You know. You know, down the line, not just this year. Anyway, we got to get to your trip to the Masters because we only have a couple minutes left. So I never got a chance. I didn't know you only went on Thursday. That was the day that you went. There were just there were a lot of people vying for passes, and I just I you know I I like golf. I we, there were some people down there that love golf. Guys that golf, you know, you know, from spring and summer they'll golf two or three times a week. I'm not that guy, but I definitely enjoy watching the Masters. I just didn't want to get anyone. Dave, I could have fun in Georgia doing a lot of different things, um, and I certainly watched the Masters all four days. But I spent spent all day at the Masters on Thursday. It was a nice weather day. Tiger's best day on the golf course, just to watch those guys play golf, to watch the crowd, it try and interact, not interact, but just it is borderline worship the way that they followed Tiger around. They had 80,000 people on the course, and everyone was just talking about a guy that hadn't played in 500 days, 
with a bionic knee. He wasn't the same old Tiger, but he, he was able to change his game and he was able to finesse a lot of shots, you know, and make some pars that you usually wouldn't make from where he made them. He made a lot. He made some putts, but it, it was so much fun. Those guys, Dave, you don't realize how good they are. It's you watch them effortlessly swing the club and the ball goes, you know, three times further than anyone else. Any anyone? It's unbelievable. I mean, they just it is true. You shouldn't. They don't. You shouldn't swing hard. Just just swing easy. Make great contact. Or they can hit a two iron. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. They can hit. A, yeah. They can hit a one iron. You know, like stuff like that. It's crazy. The only guy, a regular guy, I ever saw consistently hit a two iron was a former Penn State coach. Can you name him? He used to come to Valley Green once a year when we lived there. When we lived on number four, which was the par five dog leg right where people used to try to cut the corner and it hit my house all the time. Well, that's what you get from buying a house on a golf course. <laughs> Would you you shouldn't you shouldn't have bought a house on the golf course. So this is a, I'm gonna guess this was a guy that coached in the nineties? Correct. And he was he was all done by the time he, he started coming over there and Tommy Flynn and I and one guest would uh, ride around on Valley Green, which is a weird little track, kind of short. It is. I love that track, but it is weird. It's very weird. Uh, is it Fran Ganner? Fran Ganner. Bruce Parkhill. Oh, okay. He was amazing, and he's a big guy. You know, he's about 6'4". He had a such a pretty swing and just could nut that thing. It was – and did it over and over. He was one of his clubs. No one usually uses a, even a three-iron. Do you even try to use a three iron? He did it with a two. He did it. I think he had a one back when they had those. And it was, it was remarkable. Anyway. Uh, I'll always remember Valley Green and continue to remember Valley Green. It is, it's a course, for, it's a course for the people is how I'll put it. Because Dave, it's the only course I consistently see people out there in jeans playing. Yeah. Drunk and people. It's drunk like 75 people. degrees out and they have jeans on. There were people in my backyard hitting balls out of my backyard. Drunk <laughs> at, at 9 a.m. You know, I'm still, you remember the, the, we will finish with this. It's a story. It's on the par five, the dog leg right. I remember where your house was. Yeah. And I'm, I'm up near the green, not on the green, but right in front of the green on the slope. And it's a place where guys would try, they try to cut I know I probably hit it into your yard. I just never tried to get my ball. Not only did guys come in and get their balls, but they would, they would, they would, it was like an Easter egg hunt with some of these guys. They would just walk around and collect they balls. They never give up on their ball. Yeah. So they would walk around and, and collect balls and stick them in their pockets. And finally, I, I'd had enough when, and you remember, we're, we work in second shift hours in newspapers and we would sleep until 11 uh, midnight after being in the office. And there's a guy outside my bedroom window, Ann and I, my bedroom window. I think she's gone at this point. It's like a Saturday at 9 a.m., like 9.30. And, and he's <laughs> yelling up to his buddy from, I mean, this far out my, outside my bedroom window. And, and we have an enclosed fence, right, with a, just a little gap in the backyard. And he's yelling up to buddy, his buddy about the, the pin placement. Where's the, where's the pin? Because he can't see it. You know, and I'm like, what the? And I, I get out of bed. I'm pissed off. I've slept about six hours. I open the window and he's right there. He's right there. 
He's right there. He's he's addressing the ball, and, and he's going to hit out of the backyard right next to my window. <laughs> Probably take a big chunk out of it too. <laughs> he hasn't hit yet. And I said, he's like 24, just a big dope. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, he is just like this. He goes, hitting it. <laughs> and I said, what if I hit you? And, and he was like, oh, like, I, like he was offended. And he picked up his ball and <laughs> you never knew what you were going to get on Valley Green, as you would you say. Miss, you miss living in that house. It was a course for the people. Can you imagine yourself now if somebody <laughs> hit the ball into your yard, how that would go? Between you and the German Shepherd, how that would go? I got into it with some people. Anna was out gardening one time with her butt up in the air, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and some guy came back and came by and said, thank you. And she, <laughs> she didn't know what he was talking about. And, and, and he, she, he said it again. He goes, thank you. And she, and she said, what for? What, what are you talking to me? He goes, for the view. <laughs> <laughs> delightful people. Delightful, delightful people. That's a great, I think that's a great story to end this, uh, this edition of the pool. We certainly got to a lot of topics. Some of them difficult to talk about. Others not so much. But as always, Dave, you've delivered on our edition of the Blue White Breakdown podcast. I'm glad you got to go to the Masters. And and we should have said that, I mean, the, the course is amazing, right, as far as the – It is literally – to hear everyone talk about it, you're like, all right, all right, enough about the Masters. I, I get it. It's a great course. I get it. It actually is a great course. Like, it is – it lives up to the hype. It is just it, – it's unbelievable. It's its own little world, and – you ever get a chance to go you got to do it even if you're even if you're not a huge golf fan you will be entertained and it'll be something you'll never forget absolutely true all right i think we've wrapped it up all right bye see ya this has been the blue white breakdown brought to you by pen live <laughs>